We have come as far as verse 9 in chapter 21. John sees a new heavens and a new earth. Verse 2, he says, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the sky. And that's the last of a series of nine I saw. So then what he goes on afterwards is to describe that last thing that he saw, this holy city, Jerusalem. And he goes on in the first eight verses and kind of describes the environment. No sickness, no death, no pain, no sorrow. It says all of those that are liars and cheaters and adulterers, they're not going to be there. The things we're used to in our city, there is none of that in the city that he brings before us here. And, and he says, God says, you know, it's done. Signed, sealed, and delivered. It's wrapped up. This is reality now. And in verse 9 through 14, he says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. And he talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And it had a great wall, great and high, and twelve gates and at the twelve gates, twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And in them, the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So... John, in great, great privilege, begins now to give to us these things. A few verses before this, remember the Lord has said, John, write, because these things are dependable, they're genuine, they're true, they're faithful. So we have this record come before us, and he's describing a city, foundations, walls, gates, and the scope of it is is beyond what our imagination is. We, none of us have seen anything like this, and John is struggling to put into vernacular the things that are coming before his eyes. Twice he says, it was like this, it was like that. It's almost like describing the indescribable. And he says he's in this scene where this angel comes to him now, and he said it was one of the seven angels that had the seven last vials, and he talked with me, saying, Come hither, really, just hither, I'll show thee uh, the, the lamb, uh, the lamb's wife, the bride, you know. So interesting in this scene, this literal city is brought before him. There are too many scholars, quote-unquote scholars, that say this is all symbolic, that it, that it isn't literal, that it couldn't be the scope of it and the size of it this is just symbolism of the church or symbolism one thing or another. Look, I am sure that everything in the city speaks. It is symbolic, the, the, what, it, what it reflects. But it is a literal thing that reflects something. 
when God gave the description of the tabernacle to Moses to have the tabernacle built, it all spoke of certain things, the silver sockets and the, 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 you know, the altar and the bronze laver. They all spoke of something. There was symbolism. But the tabernacle was literal. If you don't believe me, you can ask the Kohathites or the Gershonites or the guys who had to lug it through the desert for 38 years, whether it was literal or not, while they were carrying it. Solomon's temple, great, you know, symbolic things as we look at it. Just uh, David himself given from God in heaven the architecture, the structure, the, the, the different priests and their order. But it was a literal temple. It was torn down by, by Nebuchadnezzar. You can ask him when you see him whether it was real or not. And now we have this city that's brought before us. And the scope of it is so amazing that people struggle, quote-unquote scholars. But what they leave out in their, their process, in their equation, is resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead. His body that was in the tomb was raised. That's literal. It's a literal body that has to go to a literal place. And as Christians, you and I partake of resurrection. We're not floating around on clouds forever with little halos and harps. No, there's a city. There's some place for us. There's a dwelling place where we'll be forever. And it's described here, and it's literal. The angel comes to John. John says, eh, I recognize you. You're one of those uh, vile guys. He says, yeah. Now, John hasn't seen him for over a thousand years. The I mean, last time he was doing ministry was before the millennium. And John recognizes him. That's kind of wonderful. It means we're going to recognize each other in heaven. So get used to each other. You're going to have to look at each other forever. So there's recognition there. Aren't you one of the? Yeah, 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 I'm one of those. And he, and he says, he talked with me. So this angel, John doesn't give us the description. He's talking with John, remarkably. And as he talks with him, he says, come hither. I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he said in verse 2, I, John, saw and here he says, I will show thee. So he's telling us now what he saw, what was brought in front of him, this remarkable picture. And as we move into it, 24 verses describe the city itself. In the end of chapter 20, one verse describes damnation. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's what God has to say about it. That's what he has to say about it. When he comes to the city, besides telling us the conditions in the city in the first eight verses, he goes on now for 24 verses describing the structure and, and, and what the city looks like and its measurements. It's just incredible. And, and the angel says, come on, I want to show you this, the, the lamb's wife, the bride. Now, nobody's married to a city. The idea is this holy city, it's the place where forever the saints of old in the Old Testament, the church of God, will, will dwell there. Our inhabiting this place makes it his bride. 
And by the way, there's great consolation because the Lord doesn't like divorce. If we're his bride, we're good. Amen? And and we're there. So so he he shows him the lamb's wife. Interesting because one of the seven angels, and it doesn't tell us it's this particular one, though it could have been. It says, there came one of the seven angels, verse 17, which had the seven vials and talked with me. Same thing. Saying to me, come hither. Same thing. And I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now it's going to tell us the same thing. So he carried me away in spirit into wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet-covered beast with the names of blasphemy. One of those seven angels, maybe the same one, had taken John in the spirit into wilderness to show him the great whore. Now he's taken in spirit to a great high mountain, contrasting wilderness desert, to see the bride, the lamb's wife. The, the contrast is incredible. The, you know, one of these same angels that brought judgment on Babylon and on the world and wrapped up human history is also one of the angels now that gets to say, wait, do you see this? John, you know, I'm, I'm the one who gets to come and take you. You need to see this. And how remarkable what he brings before us now is. He says, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and he showed me that great city the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God now verse 2 says coming down from heaven from God out of heaven same phrase in the Greek coming down and descending the same word so he's telling us now what he saw in verse 2 and the angel saying let me show you this let me tell you about this he carries him away in the spirit to see this and he takes him to a great and high mountain Uh, i don't believe personally personally that that's a physical mountain some say the new heavens and the new earth are so vast that this could be a great and high literal mountain could be however it ends up to be is fine with me but he's taken to a vantage point In our lives, through God's Spirit and His Word, we can be taken to a vantage point. A vantage point is some place that gives us an advantage in what it allows us to see and to measure. Look, he's taken to a great and high mountain to see this. The city is 1,500 miles on a side, 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep. It's a cube. That's 2,225,000 square miles per side. 2,225,000 square miles per side. 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, 1,500 miles across. That's 3,375,000,000 cubical miles inside. Do the math. You got one of those. Don't do it now, but do it later. You know, that's why he's taken to this great and high mountain as he starts the view. He comes in closer. The angel brings him. It goes on. But there's this vantage point that he has. Look, 
In Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, Satan is tempting Jesus. And it, well, I'll read it. Then you'll know I'm not making it up. And it says, And again, the devil taketh him into an exceeding high mountain and showeth, begins showing him, all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory of them, and saith, kept saying to him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. So Satan takes Jesus himself to a, an exceeding high mountain, a great high mountain, to a vantage point. To a vantage point. Today, one of the challenges, I believe, as we look at this, is what mountain are you on? Choose a mountain, a vantage point. Because the enemy would love to get us to a place where he can lay in front of us all of the kingdoms of this world, all of the glory of them, all of the power, everything that our carnal nature could want. And we can get trapped in thinking, well, if I have this, I'll be satisfied. If I have that, I'll be satisfied. If this can happen, I'll be satisfied. You know, why, why is there, are there this injustice between people? Why, you know, this needs to get straightened out. Why, and he can take you to that place where he can promise you all kinds of things. He can't deliver. It's deception. And if we live our lives just accruing to ourselves of the material, then God, God doesn't say anything wrong with prosperity. That's not the point. But where is our happiness? Where is our fulfillment? It depends on your vantage point. It depends where you're looking from. This great and high mountain sets our sights on our eternal home. Heaven. We're going to be there. Look around this room. There'll be no sickness. There'll be no death. There'll be no sorrow. There'll be no suffering. There'll be no tears. We're going to be there. We're going to be there. I'll be a 30-year-old. You won't recognize me. We're going, to, we're going to be there. That's a vantage point. And Hebrews tells us that hope is an anchor for our soul. In this world, we live on promises, not on information. And this is set in front of us. Now look, we can have a vantage point in our lives. I think it's important for us to understand that. Hebrews, when it's speaking of Abraham, says, By faith he sojourned in the land of the promise as a stranger, a foreigner, as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. <clears throat> then it says, for the reason he dwelled in tents, for he looked for a city, it's literally the city, which hath the foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The word builder there is architect. Maker is actually the word builder. So he looked for the city that had the foundations whose architect and builder is God. It then says of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these all died not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, they embraced them. They greeted them literally. 
and confessed that they were strangers, foreigners, pilgrims in the earth. Strangers and foreigners. Look, a stranger, a foreigner, is somebody who's away from home. A pilgrim is someone who's headed home. We're told that Cain said to God, you're going to make me a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. A fugitive is someone who's fleeing away from home. A vagabond is somebody without a home. A foreigner says we are strangers and pilgrims. A foreigner is somebody who's away from home. That's where we are. This ain't home. Okay? Make a bumper sticker. Make a t-shirt. You know, this ain't home. You have the vantage point. You have to remember that. I have to remember that all all the time. This ain't home. We are foreigners. That's why the morals and the injustice and everything around us bothers us. It's foreign to us. It's not right. We are foreigners. We are away from home. And we are pilgrims. We are headed home. We're headed home. Depends which mountain you're looking from, but we are headed home. It it says, they were foreigners and pilgrims in the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, a fatherland... And truly, if they had been mindful of the country from whence they came out, they could have returned there. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Because of that, wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. So it says, God is not ashamed to be called our God when we are looking at our destiny from the right mountaintop, when our vantage point is correct, we're looking forward to glory, to heaven, which means we're trusting him, we're trusting the blood of his son, because Jesus, when he was at that vantage point, when Satan was tempting him, and he said, here's all the kingdoms of the world, all the power, all the glory of them, if you'll worship me, he said, avoid the cross. Take the crown now. But because Jesus went to the cross, took the crown of thorns, his payment in his blood has purchased this city and this eternal place for us. And we're to have that as an anchor to our soul and it's to be in front of us. It's our hope. This is the blessed hope. It tells us again in chapter 12 of Hebrews... It says, but you are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than Abel. It's so interesting when we're getting this promise here in the book of Revelation in chapter 21 about this city in 24 verses. Jesus calls himself the Lamb seven times in 24 verses. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. So if Abraham was able 
to be taken to a vantage point by God and able to see this city with its foundations and everything uh, about it. And then it says, because of that, Abraham was dwelling in tents in a tabernacle. Tents don't have foundations. He was overloaded with silver and gold. It tells us in Genesis 13, wouldn't you like to try that for a week? He was overloaded with silver and gold, but it says he lived in a tent, man of the tent and the altar. The tent defining his relationship with this world, the altar defining his relationship with the next world. But the idea is, because of Abraham's vantage point, he saw this city, it's telling us to see this morning. And because he desired and set his affection there, this is what I'm seeking. This city with these foundations the architect and the one who constructed this, it's God. And because his hope was there, he was content to live in a tent in this world. Are we content? If we are not content, you know, Paul tells Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. What mountain have you chosen? What mountain are you looking from? You can tell by what's being placed in front of you. If it's all of the kingdoms of this world, all of the glory, all of the wealth, all of the food, all of the drugs, all of the alcohol, all of the sex, whatever it might be, if that's being placed in front of you, and you actually think, if I can get enough of this, I'm going to be content, there's a deceiver involved. On the other hand, if you're looking from a different mountain and you see this city and you're just looking at it and all of a sudden somebody taps you on your shoulder, Uncle Abe's there said, man, that's something, ain't it? He's been looking at it for a long time too. And you're realizing this is my hope. This is my destiny. This is my future. This is, this is, a, this is a dream. It, it, it vanishes and it's gone. And in the world we're living in today, as we look around, look, remember, this ain't home. We look at what's happening in our nation. We look at what's happening amongst our leaders. We look at what's happening amongst Americans. We look at the hatred in the world. We look at the injustice. We look at what's going on with money around us. We look at the inequities amongst people. This ain't home. This ain't home. I just love saying ain't. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it a bunch of times. <laughs> this ain't home. We weren't made for this. We will never, since we've been born of God's Spirit, he said, and the Spirit will show you things to come. We're ruined for this world. And Jesus is coming soon. Watch the world. Jesus is coming soon. And when you want to watch the world, don't watch China. That's the end of the tribulation, the kings of the east. Okay? It, Afghanistan, terrible. But don't watch that. The stage is being set. Now, because of the way that's been handled, our enemies have been emboldened. Our allies are stepping back thinking, can we trust them? Most importantly, God's time clock is Israel. You don't have to watch the rest of the world. Don't get your eyes off Jerusalem and Israel. Because Gantz, their Secretary of Defense, several times, if you read the Jerusalem Post in the last couple of weeks, says now within a month, Iran's going to have a nuclear weapon. They realize now they can't depend on us. 
And Israel said, we're planning a first strike. It always comes back to Israel. That's what the Bible says. Not China, all these other places. Not America's American prophecy. Oh, this and that. No, no, no. Watch Israel. Watch Jerusalem. That's the timetable we're on right now. And it means our Messiah is coming soon. There's going to be the shout, the trumpet, him descending to catch us away. That's right in front of us. It's right in front of us. Again, if it's coming like a thief, when nobody expects it to happen, how much longer can it be put off? We're all going to be standing around going, come on, Lord, what gives, you know? No, it's going to come like a thief in the night, it says. And it's coming. This is not our home. As we still have the rest of this race to run to the finish line, make sure which mountain you choose. Because the one mountain, everything you look at, ain't home. It's not what we were made for, and it's not what was made for us. The other mountain, there's a city. There's something glistening in front of us that's been placed there to pull our hearts in the proper direction. Remarkable scene. And he says this then of the city down in verse 11. The city, he says, having, that's a word that means permanence. There's nothing temporary. It's a present tense. This city is presently having the glory of God. And her light, literally her luminary, her outshining, and now he tries to tell us. It was like, he doesn't, human language is failing him, but, but God's told him to write, and he's putting this in front of us. He said, you know, this city permanently is housing the glory of God, and her luminary, her outshining, is like unto a stone, this is what he compares to, a stone most precious, and he says even like a jasper stone, but then he says clear as crystal. Crystal. The, the, the jasper stone they knew had yellow hues sometimes, blue hues sometimes, but it was opaque, it wasn't transparent. Told us in chapter 4, verse 3, that he sees God on the throne, and the one on the throne was like a jasper stone. This jasper stone, he says to us, it's like a jasper stone, but it's clear as crystal. It's not opaque. It's, you know, you're looking at this city that looks like this huge, precious stone, a clear crystal jasper stone was a diamond. You think the hope diamond is on earth? This is the hope diamond. Ladies, don't look at your rings, please. This is the hope diamond. He says it's like, he tries to describe it. He says it was like a diamond. You know, Paul did this. He said, it's not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether he was in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, speaking of himself, I cannot tell. God knoweth such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful, they're unspeakable. It's it's impossible to say, not lawful for a man to utter. John is saying, well, it was like this. 
It was like there was like this huge diamond coming down out of the sky. He said, the, it, the, the glory of God was in it, and it, it's outshining. It was like a crystal. It was, you know, it was, it was almost impossible to see as it's coming down. And it had a, a wall, great and high. This is not for protection. We'll get to this and talk about it. And it had 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So there's this great wall. This is part of it. Is it, is it a separate wall around the city, or is it actually the city wall? However that works is fine with me. We'll talk about it next week. And it says there's 12 gates. The word, you know, we, we hear of St. Peter and the pearly gates. If the wall's 1,500 miles high, the city where you enter, how big is the gate? Is it 100 foot high, the gate? Is it 10,000 foot high, the gate? Is it 1,000 miles high, this gate? I don't know. I'm going to be happy whatever size the gate is. And the gate in the Greek has the idea of vestibule, of an entrance. It's more than just a plain gate. It, it's something that's laid out. Is it carved out of one huge solid pearl? It's fine with me. Fine with me. And the remarkable thing in these 12 gates are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Imagine that. Simeon, who slaughtered everybody, with Levi, his brother, Reuben. You think of the things he did. The thing is, these are the names of 12 sinners on the gates. 12 sinners. And the Lord doesn't want us to be discouraged. We're going to blow it. We're going to get there. And as soon as we get there, I'm going to think something I shouldn't think. And the alarms are going to go, and I'm going to be out of there, you know. It isn't like that. This corruption puts on incorruption. Mortal puts on immortality. Seven times through here, it talks about the Lamb. This is the city of the Lamb, the throne of the Lamb, the bride of the Lamb. Because it's about His blood. That's why we're there. The reason any of these guys can have their names permanently, and that's what it means. It's a perfect tense. It means they are permanently inscribed, have been inscribed, and remain inscribed on the gates of the city. Imagine that. These gates, what they look like. Then it says, you can read on there, 13, east three gates, north three gates, south three gates, west three gates. This is a new heavens and a new earth. It still has north, south, east, and west. It's interesting how that works in a new heavens and a new earth. Remarkable and beautiful. And then it says, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. Remember, it's 1,500 miles long. Imagine with these foundations. They're all jewels. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. You know, John tries to describe what is coming before him here. Isn't it interesting, you know, people in this world kill each other over gold, precious stones, you know, and you think these things are hidden in the earth and all, it just, these are little itsy bitsy things, you know, this is a 1500 mile diamond here, 
The streets are made of pure gold. You think, isn't it interesting that God hid in the earth little remnants, little promises, little, and we, 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 you know, we mine out a ruby this big, you know, and go, oh, you know, look at that, you know, oh, and you know, there's going to be three, four hundred mile rubies here in this picture next week when we get there, you know. Isn't it interesting? There's little things that speak to us out of the earth, and they, these, they say, I'm so valuable. I'm so valuable. I'm so valuable. But if you listen close, they say, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. Now now these 12 foundations. And in them, the names of the 12 apostles. Okay, we know it's not Judas. Ready to argue? Is it Paul or is it Matthias? You're entitled to your own distorted opinion. There's no problem. And when we get there, we'll be happy with whatever that twelve. I think it's Matthias, but we can have our opinions. There's other promises made to you and I about having our name on pillars in the temple of God. There's lots of people's names in lots of places. It's remarkable. And it says we're going to be given a white stone with a new name on it. You just imagine. But it's, it's now these foundations. Now, all the patriarchs and apostles are all Jews, remarkably. It's told, it tells us in Ephesians 2.20 that the, the, we, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. There's no other foundation that anybody can lay but Christ, him crucified. And then the apostles are part of that foundation. These apostles have been ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel for a thousand years. Jesus promised them that in Matthew chapter 19. So as the redeemed come into their eternal home, they're not unfamiliar with those names. On the gates, on the foundations. And again, think of that. It doesn't say doubting Thomas 400 miles long. It says Thomas. It doesn't say ear hacker Peter. It doesn't do that. Foot and mouth disease. It doesn't say two foundations, Bo and Jerry's, the sons of thunder that want to pull, call down fire and burn people up. It doesn't say that. It's funny because John doesn't even say to us, I saw my name. It was so cool. You know, because in his gospel, he always says, well, there's that disciple who Jesus loves. He doesn't name himself in the gospel. The only time he names himself is on resurrection morning. He says, Peter and John ran to the tomb and the other disciple outran Peter. He just wants us to know he was fast. He was, he was young then, so he, he made it clear at that point in time. But, you know, just imagine the names. You know, the, 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 that are in these stones. Matthew, the publican, the tax gatherer. Just imagine that this is the foundation. These men, imperfect, sinful, washed in the blood of the Lamb. They're not called the twelve apostles of Christ. These are the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Apostle, messenger. To this lost world that we're living in today. With all of our technology and all of our know-how and all of our smarty pants stuff that seems to make this like a fairy tale, like nonsense, like it doesn't matter. And then we get saved and we're born again of the Spirit of God and then all of this becomes real to us. Heaven. We're not supposed to fear death. We're supposed to be familiar with it. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare, I'll come again and receive you to myself. This is supposed to be our hope, an anchor to our soul. 
You and I don't fit in here. You watch the news. You know, Kathy and I can hardly watch the news anymore. It drives you crazy. How did first graders get in charge of the world, you know? <laughs> you look at what's going on. You think, you got to be kidding me. Well, this is not our home. This ain't home. Got it? Got it. Got it. This ain't home. We're going home. We're, we're together on this? We're going home. We're going to begin to look at a description of our digs. Our home. The architect and the builder, God. The perfection of it, the glory of it, speak and will speak to us throughout all of eternity where we'll still be growing in grace and the knowledge of our Savior. But it is literal. It will be a literal place. As you read through, you take note there are 12 gates, there are 12 angels, there are 12 tribes, there are 12 foundations, 12 apostles, 12 pearls, 12 kinds of fruit, 12,000 furlongs. Lots of 12 going on here. Interesting in the destruction. Um, But as John gets closer and closer, the structure, the gates, the foundations become more and more apparent. And then next week, look, the Lord doesn't tarry. You'll get to see this for yourself, and you'll know everything I said this morning that was wrong and everything that was right. If the Lord tarries and we gather next week, we're going to look at this. Continue to look at it. Lord willing, what a remarkable thing to have on our hearts. Choose a mountain, please. Choose a mountain. One mountain has social media now, television has everything, and it can show you everything in this world you don't have, everything in this world that you need, everything in this world you'd be happier if you'd get, and none of it is true and none of it satisfies There's anything wrong with having a home and living life. But the point is, we do all of that as worshipers of the one true and living God. Not worshiping all of the kingdoms of this world and all the glory of them. The other mountain, the other vantage point, Abraham had that vantage point. There's a city. I'm living in a tent now. No matter how fancy it is, I'm living in a tent. That tent's coming down. This tent's coming down as well. And it could be really, really soon. We need to live for him now. There is a, a an undertow. There is a tide that would take our hearts away, that would embroil us in politics and injustice and cause division in the church and cause us to hate each other instead of loving each other and praying for one another. We are headed home. This ain't home. And we want to bring as many people along with us as we can so we better demonstrate something different than that world out there can demonstrate. Amen? All men will know we're as disciples by the love that we have one for another. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Read ahead. Again, if you, if you were going to Banff, Canada, you're going to Club Med, you'd be reading the brochure all week. This is where you're going. All the rest of that's junk compared to this. Read the brochure. Be familiar with it. Be able to set your heart upon it. 
Father, I know you've overheard, and we thank you for putting these things in front of us, Lord. And you, I know, Lord, you would never, you say not, fathers should never provoke their children. And Lord, I know you would never put some false thing in front of us, some carrot on a stick, Lord. You you bring these things to the light, Lord. You, you give them to us by your Holy Spirit and your word. You make them real to us, Lord. And, and Lord, certainly as much as any generation ever in the history of the church and the days we're living in, we need, Lord, by your grace to take a deep breath. And Lord, to set our affections on things above and not on things of the earth. But we'll fail at that, Lord. We're so easily distracted. We're so inclined to carnality and self-pleasing, Lord. We're so easily drawn away, Lord. But today we ask that you would override all of that with your grace, with your Holy Spirit, with your word, sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, realign us. Draw us, Lord. Let these things glisten in front of us, reminding us, Lord, that this is not our home. Lord, you've prepared that place for us. Help us, Lord, to set our affections on that. We pray in your name. Amen.